you're here today. Uh, I fail to do this every week, but uh, thanks for those who are watching live stream. Uh, just a shout out to Angie's family that's down in Hot Springs uh, watching today. Thank you guys for watching, and uh, uh, kids, stay down there a little while longer, all right? Inside joke. It was a bright, sunny day, unlike today for us, in the little country community. All the people got up on Sunday morning and went to the country church. Uh, in fact, that, the house was packed that day. Everybody was in their pew. They were visiting and, and talking about family and, uh, and about life. And then all of a sudden, before the service started, there at the altar, Satan appears. Everyone starts screaming and running for the front entrance of the church, trampling each other in their determined efforts to get away from evil incarnate. Soon everyone is evacuated from the church except for one old man who's just sitting calmly back in his pew, seemingly oblivious to the fact that God's ultimate enemy is in his presence. Well, this confuses Satan a bit, and so he walks up to the man and says, Hey, don't you know who I am? The man says, yep, sure do. Satan says, well, aren't you afraid of me? The man says, nope, sure ain't. Satan is a little perturbed by this, and so he says, and why aren't you afraid of me? To which the old man replies, been done married to your sister 48 years. Oh, boy. Oh, oh boy, oh boy. Well, the point I've had in preaching these four sermons on Satan and demonology is so that you won't be afraid of the devil. You need to be aware of him. You need to know how he operates. But church, you don't have to be afraid of him. This morning is my last message in the series on Satanism and demonology. Uh, we began this series on the origin of the devil, talking about where he came from. Originally created by God as a good and powerful angel, he was given the name Lucifer, which means star of the morning. Lucifer was the greatest of all the archangels. The Bible says he was a model of perfection, full of wisdom and beauty. He was the guardian of God's throne and also of God's holiness until, the Bible says, wickedness was found in him. With pride and jealousy, he declared, I will raise my throne above the throne of God. He led one-third of heaven's angels in a revolt against Jehovah God, and they were thrown from heaven to earth, where they spread their evil to mankind. Then the following Sunday, we looked at Satan's objective. What does he really want to accomplish in world history? And we discovered that he had three objectives. The first, of course, was to dethrone God. He failed in that objective, so he took over objective number two, and that was to destroy the Messiah. As I told you, one way you can read and interpret the Old Testament is the story of how the devil tried to stamp out the messianic bloodline of Jesus Christ. And then when Christ was born, Revelation chapter 12 tells us that as an evil, angry red dragon. He stood there wanting to devour the man-child, Jesus Christ. That failed, and so he tried to tempt Jesus to sin. 
When that failed, he tried many other times to kill the Messiah until finally on one Friday afternoon, all hell rejoiced as Jesus died on Calvary's cross. But it was just a short-term victory for the devil because the Bible tells us Jesus rose triumphant from the tomb. And so that led the devil to his third objective. He's still trying to accomplish that this very moment. He is on his way to hell, and he's trying to take as many people with him as he possibly can. That led us to last Sunday. We looked at Satan's operations, just how he works and manipulates in our world today. We saw that he operates in at least four zones. The first is in heavenly places. The Bible makes clear to us that the devil goes before the throne of God hurling accusations against people like you and me. He also works in international politics, zone number two. He is behind much of, if not all, of the evil and turmoil that is in our world today. The third zone is amongst unbelievers. As a serpent, he blinds their minds and then he bites them with his venom. But he also works among Christians, believers. He tempts us and troubles us in a multitude of ways. But we do have protection, church. Our protection is in the blood of Jesus Christ. And so when the devil comes to tempt you to sin, you need to claim the blood of Jesus. The Bible also says we are to draw near to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from us. And then we are told in the Bible to put on the whole armor of God that we might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And I prayed this morning that prayer for you, that today in this place we would put on the whole armor of God, from the belt of truth to the shoes of the gospel of peace, the breastplate of righteousness, that we would wear the helmet of salvation, take the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit, and that today we would be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And having done all... We need to stand, church. Well, this morning I'd like to share with you Satan's obituary. All right, good deal. Just how is he going to end? Really, the eternal condemnation of Satan is a twofold process. Just as it is with any criminal, if you attend a murder trial, you may see a man or a woman stand before the judge to be sentenced. But the execution is yet to occur. There is a gap of time between the sentencing and the execution of that sentencing. So it is with the devil. He has been condemned, but not yet executed. There was a specific moment in history when he was defeated. But there will be a specific moment in time when he will be destroyed. And let's read about that this morning. I'd like to read Revelation chapter 20 to you. All right, Kind of a lengthy passage I'm going to read today. You can either follow on the screens behind me or listen to me or follow in your Bible. Uh, but just pay attention to what the Bible says in the book of Revelation chapter 20. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. John said, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, 
having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up. And he set a seal on him that he should be that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. Skip down to verse 7. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Pay attention to verse 10. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one, according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And then verse 15, And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, church, there is a correlation between verse 10 and verse 15, and the correlation is the lake of fire. In verse 10, the devil was cast into the lake of fire to be tormented day and night forever and ever. That is his destiny. But verse 15 tells us everyone, all humans, whose names were not found in the book of life, they were also cast into the lake of fire to spend eternity being tormented both day and night, with the devil. Church, you don't want to go there. Now, we're going to learn about Satan's obituary this morning, and I only have two points. First is his defeat. Satan's defeat was first predicted in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, in the Garden of Eden, when God promised that a coming Redeemer would crush the head of the serpent. When Jesus came, he announced that he himself would be the one who finally, once and for all, defeated Satan. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, the apostle states plainly, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the work of the devil. 
Jesus anticipated his work on the cross when he said this in John chapter 12. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, Jesus said, when I am lifted up, will draw all men unto myself. He said this, John continued, to show the kind of death that he was going to die. In other words, church, by his crucifixion, Christ promised to do two things. To drive and to draw. He promised first of all to drive out the devil, and then he promised to draw all people to himself. In John chapter 16, verse 11, on the night before his crucifixion, Jesus said, The prince of this world now stands condemned. Satan stood before the cross like a prisoner, standing before the judge's bench to be condemned and sentenced. Colossians chapter 2, Paul explains that by his crucifixion, Christ plundered Satan's power. This is one of the most intriguing verses to me found in the Bible. Let me read it to you. Colossians 2, 13. Jesus said, or Paul said, And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He, that is God, has made alive together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to his cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Praise be to God. Amen. So the actual defeat, the condemnation of the devil occurred at Calvary. This passage in Colossians says that Christ disarmed principalities and powers of darkness. Now, if you disarm someone, what are you doing to them? You are stripping away their weapons and robbing them of their power. If you come to me with a weapon, a gun or a knife, let me just tell you what I'm going to do to you. A spin move followed by a karate chop and a side kick. I am going to disarm you of your weapon and I am going to kick you so hard in the gut that you slam against the wall and crumble before me. At least that's what I'm going to do in my mind. Satan comes at us armed with two terrible weapons, sin and death. He entices us to sin, and sin brings about death. Don't be mistaken by that. Let me tell you, Satan makes sin look really good and very inviting, and it has pleasure to it, but it's only short-lived because sin always brings death. The Bible says the soul that sins, it shall surely die. Paul wrote the wages of sin is death. James said sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Sin is the one-two punch of the devil. They are his weapons. 
when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, he disarmed Satan of these two terrible weapons. In fact, Colossians says he made a public spectacle of them. His death provided eternal life, giving poor people like you and me victory over sin, death, and the grave. Just kind of like that shepherd boy David. After he flung the stone and knocked Goliath down, he went over to Goliath and pulled out his massive sword and sliced off Goliath's head. So has Christ used Satan's own weapon, death, to defeat him. Church, Satan was defeated at Calvary and in the garden tomb. He is defeated, but he is not yet destroyed. He has been sentenced, but not yet executed. That brings me to point number two. Let's talk about Satan's destruction. Satan's destruction is going to occur at the end of the age. I read this passage out of Revelation chapter 20. I'm not going to get into any prophecy preaching today. It talks about the thousand years that he is going to be bound in the bottomless pit. And then for a short time... He is going to be released. Uh, as a kid growing up in West Texas, I was raised in a premillennial preaching church. In fact, we were mid-tribber premillennialists, all right? Uh, it's funny, I went back and looked at the old constitution of the Westside Free Will Baptist Church. Back in that day, they wouldn't even hire a preacher unless he was a mid-trib premillennialist. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God, you know? And I, then I went off to Hillsdale, and I was trained in, in the all-millennial viewpoint. Uh, you know, I... Honestly, after studying this all of my life, and I'm an old man now after studying uh, end times and, and all that, all my life, here, here's the only thing I know for sure. The end is coming. It's coming. And you better be ready. You better be ready. We do know that Satan's destruction is going to come at the end of this age. Jesus explained in Matthew chapter 25 that hell is an eternal lake of fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Satan has been sentenced to hell. And that sentence is going to be carried out on the day when he has cast head first into the lake of fire. Matthew 24, 25, 41, Jesus said, Then shall he say to those on his left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And then you fast forward to Revelation 20, verse 10, a passage we just read. It gives us the final word on the devil. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. If you want the devil's obituary, there it is. There it is. He has been defeated. He will be destroyed. He has been sentenced. He will be executed. His defeat occurred at the cross of Christ. His destruction will occur on that day of judgment. And God sends him to hell forever. It's worth noting 
that Satan isn't in the first two chapters of the Bible, nor is he found in the last two chapters of the Bible. He's out of business. When the Bible closes, he's done for. He is a defeated enemy. But church, make no mistake about it. That also means he is a very dangerous foe right now. No enemy is more dangerous than one already defeated. I mean, think about it. He has nothing else to lose. He knows his condemnation. He knows where he's going. So he will stop at nothing to mess up your life. To mess up your family. To ruin your home. To drag away your children and grandchildren. To take away your morals. To ruin your spiritual life. He tricks and he traps. He blinds and he bites. He devastates and he destroys. And he is pulling as many people into hell after him as he possibly can. Don't let it happen to you. Don't let it happen to you. There's a, a famous portrait. In fact, Billy Graham told this story in 1955 at one of his crusades. A famous portrait that has hung in many museums. It traveled from museum to museum. It's simply entitled Checkmate. It's a portrait of, of two men playing chess against each other. There's the chess board. There's a young man who has the white chess pieces and, and the devil who's actually playing the black chess pieces. Uh, in, in the portrait itself, uh, Satan has just moved his queen and announced checkmate. The young man's hand is hovering over his rook. His face is pale. He's trapped, and there seems to be no hope. For years, different chess players would go to the museums that this portrait was hanging in and study it, try to, try to find a way out for the young man. But it was not until Paul Murphy of New Orleans came to view the portrait. He was the undefeated chess champion of the world at that time. And he studied this portrait, they say, for six hours. Looked at it from every angle. In fact, he had several chess boards put up with all the pieces just like in the portrait. And he would study those moving and looking from different angles. And for six hours he studied this thing, gazing long and hard, studying every position and every piece and every move. He would lift his own hand and act as if he were moving a piece and then lower it in his mind, doing various moves. And, and again, it went on for six hours. Suddenly his hand paused and his eyes burned with realization and he shouted out loud, There's one move! Only one move! And yelling at the young man in the portrait, he said, Young man! Take that move. There was only one way out. And only the master could find it. Folks, no doubt Satan is working in your life today. Maybe he has trapped you today. Maybe the devil has your life and your family checkmated. Your life is confused. Your future seems hopeless. You don't feel like life is worth living any longer. I'm here to tell you, there is a way out. 
The Bible says with every temptation, the Master, Jesus, provides us with a way of escape. And I say to you today, make that move. Take that way. The devil's not your friend. He's trying to destroy you. Make a move towards Jesus today. Don't be in that group of people described in Revelation chapter 20, verse 15. Don't be in that group of people whose names were not found written in the book of life. For that group of people is going to spend eternity forever and ever tormented in the fires of hell with the devil. Don't be one of those. Make sure your name is in the book of life. Say, preacher, how can, how can I make sure my name is in, in that book? Very simple. In fact, listen, God made this so simple that little kids back there in Brother Johnny's kids' church can understand it, believe, and be saved. Our problem is we try to overthink it. We try to make it too complicated when God made it simple. I'm not taking anything away from its power, but it is a very simple plan of salvation. A, admit you're a sinner. You are. For all have sinned. B, believe that only Jesus can save you from your sins. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth shall not perish but have everlasting life. You admit you're a sinner. You believe that Jesus can save you. And see, you confess the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Master of your life. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. Pretty simple. You can do it today. Your name can be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Heavenly Father, I pray that all of us in this room and those listening on the live feed would, would make sure their names are written in the Lamb's book of life today. Lord, I pray that we would come to you in faith and ask for your forgiveness. I pray that we would commit our lives to you to live for you and obey you and follow you. Lord, thank you for teaching us about the devil, that he's not our friend, that he is trying to destroy our life and our family. And I pray that today we would take that one way of escape that you have given, that we would trust in the power of the blood and in Jesus Christ for salvation. Lord, for the person in this room today that needs to be saved, may they come and accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. Lord, for believers who have allowed the things of this world to come into their life and be a wedge between you and them, I pray that they would come and ask for forgiveness and cleansing and get close to you, Lord. Lord, for those of us who have children and grandchildren or family members who are not believers, may we spend this time at the altar today praying for them that they could be saved. Lord, whatever work you need to do in our life, help us to be willing to allow you to do that. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? These guys are going to sing. The altars are open. If you'd like to come and pray, I sure invite you to.
If you'd like, someone will come and pray with you. You need to come. Now's the time.